Hello, and welcome to the Mage, the Hero Described podcast. This is the show for fans and readers of Matt Wagner's Mage comic series. I'm your host, Kevin Hawkins, and in this episode, I'll be reviewing issue number four of Mage 3, The Hero Denied. Now, it's the day after Christmas, 2017, just before midnight, and it's a balmy eight degrees outside. I've got a cup of tea that I'm hoping, uh, well, it's decaf, won't keep me up uh, past my bedtime, and I'm going to record this as quickly as possible. Mage 3 is on a regularly scheduled bi-month. These are set to occur between each of the uh, four-issue arcs of the story. Now, now before I get into this issue, a spoiler warning. If you haven't read this issue or any of the past Mage comic series, I promise that I'm going to spoil this issue and parts of past issues totally and completely. So if you haven't read this issue, haven't read any of the past series, and you're into that, then go ahead, keep listening. Otherwise, turn this off and uh, keep an eye out for reprints. Uh, Go to Amazon, etc., etc., etc. Go to your local comic store and pick them up. A quick comment before I go on about one of the topics I discussed in the last episode. At the start of issue three, we found Kevin and his son Hugo had crossed over into the Dark Fairy Realms. Now, this is where Kevin did battle with the Fomorians, those big, goat-headed, nasty warriors. And after the battle, Hugo mentioned that in the park in issue one, when Kevin battled against the Hob crew, the nasty crew, he saw something creepy and weird. And Kevin mentioned that Hugo couldn't see what was happening clearly, because Kevin had stepped over into the fairy realms. In light of that, I had mentioned, and I've read at least one reviewer who had mentioned, that these battles seem to take place almost next door to our reality, and that that's likely what keeps these encounters from being seen by non-involved humans. But later in that same issue, when Kevin goes out to lure the villain's attention in his lone wolf hero montage, we get some very explicit reports of magical activity by bystanders. We get at least two different people who have seen creatures, seen nasties, and a kid who actually saw Kevin charge up and use a megawatt apple in battle against something he calls, he says his grandma would have called a bugaboo. Now, maybe kids are closer to the fairy realm and see it or overlap with it more than adults Uh, obviously it's just not quite as cut and dry as hey what happens in the fairy realms stays in the fairy realms physical damage happens to things in our world people see either outright battles or side effects of the same in progress you know sparking and sizzling and so forth now i'm just addressing this since last time i think i came down heavily on the side of hey this stuff seems to happen in a world next door And in light of the comments by these different degrees of witnesses, I'm just going to say about the matter, it depends. And frankly, unless it impacts the storyline, it really doesn't matter. Uh, It's been addressed, there's the fairy realms, there's a certain amount of crossover, I think it's just back and forth. You get beyond it, it's like trying to nitpick at science details in a Star Wars movie. In uh, the last episode, I had mentioned that some scenes in issue number three, to me at least, evoked some movie genres. 
And as I was writing up notes for this issue, it occurred to me that this issue reminded me of a video game boss fight. Or, I don't know, maybe video game boss fights remind me of big showdown battles from comic books. Tomato, tomato. I'm not a big video game guy. So, after this occurred to me, I went to Wikipedia to grab a definition of a boss fighter battle where it mentions that boss battles are generally seen at the climax of a particular section of the game, usually at the end of a stage or a level or guarding a specific objective. And the boss enemy is generally far stronger than the opponents the player has faced up to that point. The boss enemy is often quite larger in size than other enemies in the player character, and at times bosses are very hard or impossible to defeat without knowing a correct fighting approach. So, uh, all of this doesn't necessarily apply to the battle in this issue, but it is located at the climax of this first arc. This entire issue really does focus on this one big battle, and this is a very strong and very unique enemy. So, it, uh, it just occurred to me. I thought it was, uh, thought it was a little humorous and, and interesting to see. This issue opens up with an incredulous Kevin Matchstick. He has seen a lot of wild magical monsters, and he even mentions in the opening of this issue that he had hoped to lure something big and creepy, giant talons, talons, lots of teeth. And, um, you know, that's nasty bashing thinking. And we're going to see that Kevin is in a whole different league in this issue. So who's this adversary uh, that, um, in the words of the Umbra Sprite, is powerful enough to shatter Kevin Matchstick's metal? Well, we see a striking woman in a red dress, veil, and these really unique, really distinct bone bracelets. She certainly doesn't look like some of the big, bad, dangerous nasties that Kevin has faced in the past. And in her initial comment, she mentions that there are few who anticipate her, but none who can deny her cold embrace. And that's a fitting enough comment for the mistress of the underworld, the queen of the unending dead, Erishkagal. She and Kevin have a history. And she is here to get her revenge on him. Her vengeance for his actions as Gilgamesh, the Sumerian. So this lady knows how to hold a grudge for about 4,700 years. And keep in mind, this is the oldest written story anywhere known to exist. The Epic of Gilgamesh, full stop. And she identifies Kevin as an avatar of the Babylonian king Gilgamesh, who she defines as the arrogant, the belligerent. Adjectives which could fairly be used to describe Kevin in The Hero Defined. At the ending of which, we discovered from Mirth that like the enemies that he faces, Kevin himself isn't limited to just one name, to just one heroic, um, to one heroic avatar. That he is also an incarnation of Gilgamesh. So essentially, the Umbra Sprite got on the phone, called up a pal, and said, Hey, you know that guy 
You know that guy that you've had an axe to grind against for almost 5,000 years now? How would you like if I told you where he is? And by the way, I'm going to open up the door and, uh, and help you drop in and pay a visit on him. Specifically, Arish Kagal is upset at Kevin, at Gilgamesh, for having sent his companion, the wild man Enkidu, into his realm. In, in, into her realm, rather. Um, the realm of the dead which she says he has had invaded and defiled. In fact, she says it was so bad that almost 5,000 years later, uh, the halls of her realm still echo with his blasphemy. Now, Avatar-wise, Enkidu is a past incarnation of Kirby Hero from Hero Defined. Uh, they're both wild. They both actually Enkidu with Gilgamesh as Kirby Hero to Kevin Matchstick shared a confrontational, argumentative relationship. And Kadu was the wild man. And there's also, um, it's been, I've seen it uh, marked up a little bit differently. Sometimes I've seen this one image uh, portrayed as being Gilgamesh. Sometimes I've seen it mentioned being Enkidu. I'm pretty sure that it's Enkidu. He uh, is shown with a lion. And of course, Kirby Hero's symbol is a lion's head, which worked so well. I mean, talk about a spectacular little bit of being able to take that that particular animal, that iconography, uh, apply it to Kirby Hero for Enkidu, as well as, of course, apply it to Kirby Hero as Hercules, uh, who had faced, I think it was the Nemean lion, as one of his 12 labors. Anyways, uh, also, uh, if we take a look at the history here, uh, Enkidu and uh, Gilgamesh had done battle with the Celestial Bull of Heaven, which they repeat a scene like this doing the battle with the uh, Celestial Bull that Kirby Hero is fated to uh, face as one of his labors in Hero Defined. Well, <laughs> one of Arishkagal's husbands uh, in the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh actually was uh, was the celestial bull of heaven, which uh, which they took down. So there's a lot of history going on here. And Arishkagal is looking at Kevin saying, hey, dude, you sent your scrubby wild friend down into my place. He went all over, breaking the rules, messing things up, raising hell. I'm paraphrasing here. I've been reading bits and pieces of uh, trying to see where these myths interact where Gilgamesh and Enkidu interact with uh, the the queen of the dead Arishkagal and yeah really um Gilgamesh sent Enkidu down into uh into the underworld and even though he gave him a lot of warnings and he said hey don't do this don't do that uh, don't stand out don't break these rules it's going to cause all kinds of problems uh of course the moment that Enkidu got down there the first thing he did was break each and every rule possible and uh Kagal is saying hey dude here's the bill for your damages Kevin says that he doesn't claim that legacy which in his case is like saying I don't claim all the stuff I did as a teenager. I mean, you might not be the same person, but you can't not claim it. You know, growing pains, yeah, you know, whatever it is. Uh, the um, it's a little too easy for him to just say I don't claim it. In the bigger in the bigger scheme of things, as a hero who has had multiple incarnations in one way, shape, form, or another, or as a person who possesses the same heroic spark of a particular, you know, multiple lifetime lineage, 
that just doesn't fly. Uh, you can't, you know, to take a word from the title, just deny it. And Arishkagul says as much. She says, denial is useless. And her veil is opened, and wow. I mean, this is just so cool. Uh, some people have mentioned before, I've mentioned before, that Matt Wagner's creature design in this new series is really next level. And the red glowing gem, the black lips, those black widow eyes with the uh, legs serving as these creepy eyelashes, just an amazing design, just an amazing effect when we finally get to see Arish Kagal's face as she pulls the veil aside. Kevin again says, hey, that wasn't me. And she again replies, denial is useless. And you look at the title, I think that's going to be a trend here uh, in the overall series. Now, as a death goddess, Arish Kagal gets some awesome lines. Kevin tells her that, you know, your kingdom ended ages ago, uh, to which she replies that time has no meaning in death. And as that's happening, we get these hands of the dead rising up unnoticed around his feet. And now it's zombie punching time. You know, so if we look at different genre things, we're definitely getting into uh, into George Romero uh, or just, you know, good old-fashioned, you know, zombie genre fighting here. And Kevin just considers this ridiculous, almost beneath him, until this great two-page spread of these zombie hordes, as Arish Kigal says, um, you know, pretty much, dude, it's time, get ready to join the Undying Dead. And there's this literal army of the dead at, at her disposal. You can just see these going off, fading into the background, numerous and, quite frankly, you know, implied literally unending cannon fodder available to her. I think it's interesting that she calls him ill-fated man. I'm not sure if that's just some typical, hey, I'm going to destroy you, sucker, villain talk, or, um, or, or if this is just a, you know, an overarching theme for Kevin Matchstick, that he has some larger ill fate ahead of him. Uh, I, I think it's just villain talk, but it caught my attention. And we get some great action scenes here, as Kevin uses a no-parking sign and post to just mow down zombies. He does that uh, charged-up uh, ninja throwing star action with the uh, sign itself. Kind of, uh, first he turns a, uh, you know, a wooden, uh, I think a wooden park bench plank uh, into a bat that doesn't last very long, and then he uses the uh, the post of this sign almost as a you know as an Excalibur stand-in, charged with his energy as he clears a path right to her, where she claims that it's really no big deal that he was always meant to die at her hands, and the glowing hands and the bone bracelets and the twisty curvy red magic rising off of them is so neat, and you know it occurred to me, hey, the color of her magic is red. It's the same as Kirby's. And they've got this history, literally. So uh, so that's kind of nice. And a word about the uh, her neat bone bracelets, which is basically it looks like a bone going literally sideways just from one side to the other through her wrist, and then a huge circular bone merging with it or coming off of it 
that goes around her hands. And if you look at old stone carvings, I'm not sure if they're exactly statues as much as wall carvings of Arishkagel, you can see that on her. That's uh, There's a few distinct features that she has, but that's definitely one that stands out, that, uh, you know, these ancient carvings of this goddess, of this deity, have those uh, very iconic or those very recognizable bone bracelets on her hands. But uh, as they're as they're facing down here, they get interrupted by a howling, and the zombie horde literally just dissipates and starts to dissolve. And it, we reveal a man on a motorcycle in black with a full face helmet huge antlers coming off of it. Around him, around his neck, well, first of all, around his neck hangs this hunter's horn, and he's surrounded by a pack of dogs with human faces, including, I think, Roland the Hornblower and uh, Rashim from uh, the Hero Discovered. So Roland the Hornblower may or may not be one of those faces from Hero Defined, Rashim from uh, Hero Discovered. Now, the last time we saw this particular motorcycle-riding badass was in Hero Discovered issue number 15, where Kevin is surrounded by this dog pack comprised of his past, uh, specifically his past failures. Uh, I'll include a, a, a scene of this in the, uh, as mentioned uh, in this episode, blog post. And Kevin is first faced in this in this scene in Hero Discovered when he encounters this pack. Kevin is first faced by a vagrant whom he failed to save in an alleyway uh, early on in Hero Discovered who says that he had died because uh, Kevin thought that he didn't want to get involved. And then he calls the others, and this pack surrounds him, and they're all surrounding Kevin, telling him how he can never escape the casualties of his past or his failures, the deaths of his inaction. And while Kevin begins to fight off these hounds, we have uh, rising climactic activity happening. I mean, we're coming right on the climactic moments, uh, or right at the climactic moments of Mage the Hero Discovered, issue 15, Emil comes upon an incapacitated Umbra Sprite in his office in the Styx Hotel and Casino. And Emil hears the hounds and he curses. He says, damn it, then the resolution's at hand, and the winner claims the guilty, whoever wins. And as Emil just brains the helpless Umbra Sprite, Kevin cries out, no, damn it, I am not the guilty one. And the hounds stop their howling. And they gather to the rider, and they leave. Now, whether they do this because of what happened to the Umbra Sprite, or because of Kevin's assertion, or just the poetic synchronicity of both, I... I don't know, but but that's that's where we see them, and I'm and I'm a little bit, you know, I'm not quite sure in some ways what's going on there. Uh, Kevin is clearly in the hero discovered. Uh, no pun intended. He is he's hounded by doubt. Uh, he's hounded by past events. There's uh, there's the story of the puppy earlier on in uh, in the series, and I think for him he has to let that go, and he has to decide that uh, you know that that he's not guilty. Uh, that he's that he's not going to let that rule his life. 
Now, David Steinberger, who runs or who uh, set up the annotated mage dot net had some great things to say about those hounds and this hunter the hunter and so i'm just going to quote here at least about the hunter he's got some great stuff about the hounds there he's got some great stuff about a lot of the you know villains gallery and all the major characters from hero discovered really worth checking out and he mentions the hunter which the hounds draw to when kevin denies them rides upon a motorcycle and wears stag's horns on his head. In several myths, the dog's leader is the devil himself, but Mages lends himself more to Odin or Woden. Odin is the leader of the devil's dandy dogs and also is the chooser of the dead. He is said to hunt human souls, leading his troop of dogs with him. And uh, then David quotes... Uh, the deities and demigods section on Celtic mythology where the master of the hunt is described as having, quote, jet black skin and glowing green eyes. His head is crowned by a set of stag antlers and he wears a suit of black leather. The master never speaks. As uh, as David notes, this description fits the leader of the uh, hound pack and mage pretty, uh, pretty damn accurately. So, Arishkagel looks at the hunter and says to Kevin that it seems that you are claimed by a different house. And I assume this means another house of the dead. When Arishkagel first introduces herself to Kevin, Kevin says, what am I supposed to believe that you're death? And she says basically that she runs a particular house of the dead. So she's certainly aligning the hunter with another house of the dead. And this this lines up with uh, David Steinberger's history around this figure as the as the chooser of the dead who hunts human souls because she says in fact that it is kevin's soul that the rider hunts and if she can't kill him then she will drag him to hell alive and she just blasts him with this bolt and it gets deflected by the uh, protection charm by the love warding kiss that magda had put onto Kevin in the previous issue. And this page here, where this happens, I'm not even going to repeat it. Just just go and read it. This part about being loved and death is so good. But uh, the protection warding is gone, and she just blasts him again, knocking him back. And as she's doing this, she turns more and more into exactly what Kevin said that he expected to lure. She turns into something big and creepy, giant talons with lots of teeth. So, <laughs> careful what you wish for, eh? And she's got Kevin on the ropes. Uh, but then Arish Kagal really plays her hand too far. She threatens that after she claims Kevin, she will come back and get whoever gave Kevin the love charm so they can join him in eternal suffering. So Arishkagal has gone from this statuesque beauty to this truly creepy nasty. And remember, he is facing down a deity here. Uh, but Kevin tells her that she has just crossed the wrong line. He uses his power. He charges up the entire freaking park bench picks it up and just slams her with it and blasts her back to where she came from. You know, he mentions something, you know, she cries out that she is undone. And at the same time, the Force just throws him 
um, just backwards off of a cliff. And, you know, at this point we find out that, yes, uh, Kevin still has a fear of heights. And he makes his way back up from this ravine, back up to where the, uh, back up to where the bus stop is, uh, telling himself over and over again, don't look down, don't look down. And by the time he gets back up to level ground and the bus stop, he is in a foul mood. And shortly thereafter, we get another face-down between Kevin Matchstick and a non-respondent ATM. Aside from the battle that he just barely survived, Kevin cuts to the point. How long before the, uh, the bad guys, or the bad girls, come after his family? Before they are found. And he is ranting and raving. Where the hell is his advisor when he needs him the most? that it's Mirth's fault that he's even in this mess to start with. And here we have another steadfast, bullheaded, hero-discovered-style denial. Exactly like what, you know, Kevin did in Hero Discovered in many ways. You know, this isn't my path, my fate, my role. This is your fault. If you had just left me alone, none of this would be happening. And to punctuate this... Kevin is just so done for that he just hauls off and punches the ATM. And this is a great panel. The lettering, the sound effect, the bright magic ATM card, the magic money card popping out of the machine with a few magical bubbles here and there as well around it. And, of course, as Kevin told Hugo earlier in this series, and as he's found out over and over again uh, on his journey, if he's using his powers and not as part of the battle, not as part of the fight, he is not invulnerable. So he's really hurt his hand, and it actually looks like it might even be bleeding a little bit when he uh, when he picks up the card. And he looks resentfully at the ATM, turns his back on it, and walks away saying, like I said, to hell with you. I mean, wow. I just love this episode, this, the, this issue. The battle was great. Pulling back to Gilgamesh and the Sumerian, pulling forward an adversary who's an outright deity, uh, works on so many levels because it really makes me wonder what's the deal with the Umbra Sprite, right? I mean, uh, you, you can, you, you've got to figure the Umbra Sprite is definitely at the same level here. What would happen if Kevin faces off? with the Umbra Sprite at some point. It's hard to tell because at the end of issue 15, the sheer proximity of the weapon of Excalibur to the Umbra Sprite had him virtually immobile. And it's hard to tell if that's a side effect of the plant, the the weed that he was smoking that, that caused that immobility uh, because we definitely see the Umbra Sprite going through some changes as mage hero discovered progresses that aligns with him smoking more and more of that plant that's in his office but Emil notes that you know the proximity of the weapon has the umbra sprite virtually or literally immobile it will be interesting to see if we get to a point in hero denied that uh, that something similar works out or maybe the Umbra Sprite uh, has has figured out a way to deal with that and will not uh, will not suffer the same immense pain 
at the close proximity of the weapon. As I mentioned earlier on, you know, there was this big climactic moment at the end of issue 15 where Emil is mentioning that the winner claims the guilty. Well, the winner in a battle between who is, in a way, that mentions, you know, the rider is looking after his soul. So is this a winner in the battle between the Umber Sprite and the Hunter? Is Kevin Matchstick the guilty? I'm a, I'm a little vague on, on what was going on there. And now that we've brought up the Sumerian, you know, Kevin often had, in Hero Defined, Kevin often had three names for all of the nasties that he faced. And I'm curious if this means, you know, we've we've had him get two different names. Mirth even calls him out on this in uh, at the end of Hero Defined. He says, you have three names for everything you face, but only one name for yourself. And he enlightens him about Gilgamesh, the Sumerian, about Humbaba, about the Celestial Bull, about the tie-in for Wally Ut. So is Kevin now acting out, much as a lot of Hero Defined can be seen as enacting parallel or echoes and aspects of the Gilgamesh legend as we're going through Hero Denied while he wants to cling to and there are strong Pendragon overlays to this, are we seeing a third Avatar tale being mirrored uh, You know, in this, uh, in this series? Is there another one going on? So that's what I've got here. Just a lot of questions. Great issue. Great art. And really looking forward to uh, to where this goes to in January. Uh, that's this week's episode. Um, I'm not going to do a letter column right now. Uh, it's it's late. We'll uh, maybe look at a letter column review in the next uh, in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to join me uh, next time when I'll review issue number five. Again, if you have any comments or thoughts you'd like to share, please visit magetheherodescribed.com where you can find instructions about the many ways you can get in touch and share your thoughts. Uh, You can also find podcasts, reviews of Mage Comics, interviews with Matt, and more. You can even subscribe for updates and notices when a new podcast or gallery or other content is is posted or published at the website. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it through the usual social networks and especially rate and review it on iTunes. It really helps other listeners discover the show. So thanks, and until next time, stay excellent.